But as an introduction, I, I, I want to point something out. You may have noticed if you've been here successive weeks or recent weeks that, that it's sort of built up to, to Advent in a very interesting way. At least I think it's interesting. So we started out by sort of talking about religious issues and, and, and just basic everyday stuff. And then as it grows, we talked about the roots of salvation how we know Christ and how we know our hope is with Christ and our eternity is with Christ. And, and then we sort of talked about the last couple of weeks about some, uh, what the, the theological word is sanctification, but how we grow in Christ, how we become stronger, how we become more faithful people. And sort of the arc as it's going then, as it's going to, uh, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, there's sort of three stages to the Christian life. Glorification, which is knowing Christ has saved us, and, and knowing that, you know, or sorry, excuse me, justification, knowing that Christ has justified us and has saved us in God's eyes. And then there's the sanctification piece, piece in the middle of how we live life. And then there's the glorification. One day we will be with Christ in glory. And, and, and so tonight, next week, We'll be talking about the end times. We'll be talking about how this is all going to sort of end. You know, because Advent, as we know, we light the candles because we, we, we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate the birth of Jesus. But we're, we're not looking forward to him being born again as a baby in a manger. We're looking forward to his coming back. To, to the day when he returns and, and, and everything changes. You know, and, and some pastors, uh, I've actually heard stories about this, uh, spending a lot of time on this, on the eschatology, which we'll talk about what that means, uh, end times theology. I, I even heard of one pastor once going through the book of Revelation for two years in his church. Every week talking about the Revelation and verse by verse and picking it all apart. And much to all of your enjoyment, um, I'm not that kind of pastor. Uh, I talked to a guy who actually went to this church, and he said it was so fascinating for the first, you know, 14, 15 months. And then it just started getting real the same over and over. And, and I bring this up because it's difficult. You know, how, how many of us have read Revelation or the book of Daniel or maybe some of the prophecies in the Old Testament? And we just get confused. And, and, and we read about it and we maybe Google something or we open up a commentary and we try to understand maybe someone else can figure it out for us. And, and it's good, but, but at the end, you, you have one book and this scholar, this expert says this. And then this expert says this, and they're different. <laughs> and, and, and they both know Greek and they both have studied this their whole lives. And, and they're both reading the same book. And, and yet at the end, they come to these two different conclusions. And they both love Jesus. And so the reason I don't think it's really helpful, at least, to go through these end times things for weeks and months and, 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 and just belabor it over and over and over again is because odds are, if you're like me, your interpretation of some of these things will change over time. You know, one day you think some, this one thing is going to happen, and then the next time you read Revelation, you think, whoa, how could I have missed that? And it changes. You know, and, and, and so tonight, what we're going to talk about is one of the events that's become very, very popular, especially in Western culture, is this word called the rapture. You know, when, when all believers go to be with Jesus. And, and the word rapture, which is interesting, is not specifically in Greek. It's taken from a Greek word to Latin, and then we get it from Latin. Uh, it's there, but the word is actually from a passage tonight. It means caught up. 
That's our best translation, I think, that we can get. And so I have some photos here. Some of them are sort of funny. Um, yeah, go all the way back to the beginning. We'll, we'll go one by one. One more. There you go. That's oh, oh, no. okay. Don't worry about it. So we got some pictures here of the rapture, and these are all different things that people think it's going to look like. So there's this one, right? Jesus, I love the rainbow. Jesus coming back with all the angels, and everyone's really excited. Um, and it, it, just a few Google images of rapture, you can't see it, but there's a couple of people who are sort of looking back, like with these big smiles on their face. I, I like that one, because that one seems really fun and peaceful. Uh, there's another one here. Uh, this one sort of seems a little bit scarier with the lightning and the sort of silhouettes of people, but the, 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 somehow these people are going to turn into shadows, and then the shadows are going to go up to the sun, apparently. Uh, there's this one, which is pretty awesome. Uh, you have Jesus and this angel with this trumpet, and Jesus is sort of in this, I don't really know, a power stance, screaming at the top of his lungs in space. Um, see, there's earth down at the bottom. Um, I'm not really sure. It's, it's, it's cool, though. Um, and, and they get actually better. This next one is it's just, it's just going to be the giant hand. And the God's, God's gonna, Jesus is going to come back just a giant hand and just sort of scoop us up. Um, maybe just New York. That looks like the Chrysler, or the Empire State Building. That one, to me, just made me laugh. I couldn't help but put it in there. Um, yeah, and then there's one more I wanted to show you. And then this guy is just sort of being vaporized. Just sort of, like, teleporting, I guess. Um, you know, what's interesting, you type in rapture in Google Images. This is all I did. But everyone has this sort of different interpretation of what it's going to be. Everyone thinks they might know. And, and I, as much as I hope it's the giant hand, uh, we just don't know. But most of our ideas that you'll find and most of the theology stems from the text we're going to read tonight. So, so join, uh, join with me in going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, it is a, a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church in Thessaloniki, which is still a city in Greece. And uh, we're going to be reading verses 13 through 18. So uh, feel free to follow along on the screen or on the Bible in front of you. Um, and, and, and please read with me. Uh, the Apostle Paul says this, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we will believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, we who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. This too is the word of the Lord. Um, so this topic is, is basically this. Um, after the, there's a one more slide. Lisa, after the, yeah. So the word we use is eschatology, if you've ever come across this. And basically it just means the study of the end times, you know, the end of the world or the end times. And, and so this is what this passage in Thessalonians is about. Uh, and so this is what I want to do. You know, it's become really popular, I mentioned, this idea of the rapture and end times. Um, the books left behind, you know, they made a couple of movies. Um, and and I, I have mixed feelings about those. Um, 
But I would hope and pray that it, whatever you've heard or whatever you think about this, come at this with an open mind. Not that I'll say anything magically or miraculously different, but come at this with an open mind to look at the text first. I've met a lot of people in my life who, who will talk about these books or talk about things they've heard or second or third hand, and, and they've never actually read the text to see exactly what it says. Uh, and so that's what we're going to look at. So we're going to go through verse by verse, and then we'll talk about some of the interesting things. So first of all, the Apostle Paul in verse 13 is, is addressing disunity. He says, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant about this idea. I don't want you to, to be unaware of what's happening here. He says, I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. Indicating that we have hope, that those who are Christians, that those who believe in Jesus have this hope that death and this earth is only temporary. That, that if, if we believe in who Christ said he was, that, that it's okay to mourn, but that we shouldn't mourn like those who don't have any hope. And he says it in verse 14, because Jesus rose from death in the same way, we all, all of those who are in Christ, will also rise. He says you should grieve, and that's fine, but don't grieve more than normal. You know, don't worry about what's going to happen. Don't worry about what if this person... And he says it's only temporary. That's why they say asleep. They've just fallen asleep. And when Christ returns, all of the, all of the sleeping people essentially will rise. And now this begs the question, and we're not going to be able to talk about this, but I would encourage you to look it up. For timing's sake, what's happening for all those people who have died over the thousands of years? Are they sleeping? Are they waiting? Are they aware that they're waiting? Is it just going to be miraculous? You know, are they, are, 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 do they have the heavenly body? How does this all work? Um, the answer in, in, in the short phrase is, I'm not sure. Um, but I know, Paul also says this in his letter to the Corinthians, I know and I believe that we will be risen with Christ, that those who are dead and those who died on earth and believed and trust in the Jesus Christ as their Savior, that when he comes again, whatever it looks like, that they will raise as well with him. Because we see it throughout the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes this and says consistently that the dead in Christ will rise again at his second coming. And he says in verse 15 in our passage tonight that there will also be no favoritism. Maybe the people were worried, you know, maybe those who are dead won't, won't, won't be there when Jesus returns, or, or maybe they're going to miss out on something. And so Paul just says to them plainly, hey, don't worry about it. The, the dead will rise in Christ, and then those of us who are still here, he's going to come and get us. Now, just so we know, this idea of, of the dead raising and, and those who are asleep in Christ, this is not a new idea. You know, in the book of Hebrews, the Apostle Paul says, or not the Apostle Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews, we're not totally sure, but the author of Hebrews says to the people, hey, listen, this is an elementary thing of our faith in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 6. He says, you need to move on past some of these elementary teachings, and one of them is that the dead in Christ will rise. And in fact, it's not even a new teaching from them, because in the book of Daniel, way, way back when, at the end of Daniel in chapter 12, it says in verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, and some will go to everlasting life. So even way back when, this was not a new idea that Paul was telling the Thessalonians about. This was understood among Judaism in the Old Testament, and then again among the early church to say that those who have died, those who have died who professed Jesus Christ will raise. 
And so that we as Christians, though it's, it's sad when someone dies, you know, we had someone in the church actually pass away this week, an old member who's been here years, and it's sad and it's hard. But when that person is a believer in Jesus Christ, we also are able to rejoice because we know what their fate holds. And so as an introduction for the first couple of verses, uh, you know, don't let that sort of throw you off too much. And if you have any questions about the dead raising and how that looks, let me know. I'd be happy to talk with you. We're going to spend the rest of our time, though, talking about verses 16 and 17, because this is when it gets interesting. It says in verse 16 that the Lord will come down from heaven with a loud command or the sound of a trumpet blaring, and the Lord will come down from heaven. But this is immediately where people begin to get a little confused, and people start to interpret Scripture differently. Because as we know, we are on a sphere, and the earth is a sphere, and it's actually tilted sideways, and it's spinning around really fast, and then as we're spinning around really fast, we're spinning around the sun really fast, um, and so which way is up? <laughs> so, so even just reading this totally literally, the Lord is going to come down from heaven. Okay, well, we know that the Lord will come from heaven, but immediately people begin to speculate. You know, in the ancient world, heaven was up, hell was down, underfoot, and so they use this language. So we need to understand when we read passages like this that it's not always totally literal word for word. <laughs> because what Paul is saying is that the Lord will come. Right? And, and I use that as a simple detail that most of you would agree with and say, yeah, of course. We know that heaven is not physically right above the clouds. So we understand that. But it's important to realize as we read scripture as we go on to this next verse. Uh, and so Let's look again at verse 17. This is the tricky one. This is the, where the rapture comes from. This is where that song comes from. This is where everyone sort of starts wondering what's going to happen. After that, so after the dead have risen in Christ, which um, is a good indicator that, by the way, this hasn't happened yet, but it says, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together, will be caught up. It's this word where the rapture comes from, will be taken up with them, with the dead who have already risen, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will be with the Lord forever. Now, I have no idea what this means. And I am confident enough to say that out loud because this example is only given once in Scripture. The specifics of meeting Christ in the air, this is the only place. And many times with Scripture, when we have a difficult passage, we look at the rest of Scripture to see maybe, you know, if you have one example of something, but you have two examples, then you get more context and understanding of how to use it and how to interpret that. With this, we have this one passage, and it kind of makes us a little confused. And so what I'm going to do, and what I want to do is just sort of say it this way, that when we look at Scripture as a whole, there's a lot of little details that don't happen again and again. You know, in the book of Revelation, John sees a lot of weird things that we don't know how to do and how to deal with. And then Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus even gives us a little bit of information. But when we take all of this together, Old Testament, New Testament, book of Revelation, there are some things we have to take into account. And that these authors were trying to, to, to get a point across. Now, the details may have been different, the, the, the avenues they used may have been a little different depending on their audience or their, their own background and their own history. You know, it's like when people say that, 
the Gospels are inconsistent because they have different details, little or, order of things, you know? It's just the author trying to get certain things across. There's no secret code we're missing. But in the same way, end times writing, and, and when it talks about things that are confusing, we need to understand that the author may not have actually been trying to give specific factual details of exactly how it would happen. He may be. But what we need to look at is sort of the big picture. Because a lot of people will look at this passage, and this is where the idea of the rapture comes from, and the big hand, and the people floating up, and I don't know what it's going to look like. You know, if you read the book of Revelation, there's a lot of imagery, is the word in English? Imagery? We, images? It talks about, at one point, iron-plated locusts, right? And, and, and I've heard people say, oh, well, that's easy. That's helicopters, see, because the locust flies, and, and, and the helicopter's made of steel and metal. And so the iron-plated locusts in Revelation 9 are helicopters and warplanes. So we're living in the end times. It's almost, I can't really make that jump, personally, um, because I'm fairly certain that the Apostle John in the first century had no idea what a helicopter was. And I'm also very positive that I can't go back in time to ask him exactly what he meant or to understand what a first century Jewish-Roman perspective would be. And so what I can do is look at Scripture as a whole. And I can look at what Paul is saying, not just to the Thessalonians, but to all these different churches about Christ's return and about who Christ is. And, and, and it's okay to not know details, and it's okay to not understand every little thing or every little subtlety, because when we don't know, it's okay. There is a mystery in Scripture and faith. You know, and I would ask you, when you come to Scripture and you come to something like this, that we're not exactly sure what to do with it, that you would think of Proverbs chapter 3, where it's written, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. See, I don't believe the Bible was written aimlessly, and I believe these ideas were well thought out and very intentional. But I also know they're not biographies, and I also know they don't have every little thing written down. You know, in the Old Testament, when it says that there were 30,000 Amalekites died, it might have been 29,842. You know, that's okay. What's important is what the authors were conveying about who God is and the truth of God's heart and God's love for us. And in this passage, we need to then look at what is understood, because no one can agree on what verse 17 means exactly. Are we going to start hovering? Are we, like I said, is there going to be a hand? Are we going to vapor? No one knows. So what do we know from this passage? I want to bring up three things. One, it's clear these events have not taken place yet. Um, it, it's clear that this has not taken place yet, and therefore, um, I would also like to encourage any theologians out there to stop trying to predict it. If you ever hear anyone say that I have proof Jesus is coming back soon, just, just stop listening. Because every generation since Jesus has thought Jesus was coming back soon. The disciples thought it was going to happen in their lifetime. And then the next generation, and then imagine the fall of the Roman Empire. Jesus must be coming back soon. And then you have this great church split around a thousand years after Christ. And then, I mean, imagine living, I was just reading a book about the plague in Europe. Imagine being a Christian, seeing the plague happen and thousands and thousands of people dying around you and thinking, oh, Jesus has got to be coming soon. Imagine living in a war-torn city and, and, and reading about the destruction and thinking, oh, Jesus has to be coming. And even now, right? Oh, earthquakes and tidal waves and all of these things. Jesus is coming soon. 
be careful with predicting. <laughs> Matthew 24, 36, if you're not familiar with it, basically Jesus says, no one knows. No one. Jesus says, I'm the son of God and I don't even know. Okay, only my father in heaven knows when this is going to happen, when I'm going to return. So stop trying to figure it out. That's the first thing. Stop trying to predict it. <laughs> Second, let's look at what we can understand and discern them. Let's look at what we can understand about these scriptural things and un- try to discern what we can know and what makes our faith and our love for Jesus Christ all the more. You know, find what it is you believe and let that be something that brings you faith and hope and joy and above all things, love. And allow it to encourage you. You know, and, and, and let me say this, you know, I've had some people sometimes not criticize me, but sort of ask me, you know, why don't you do more deep theological study from the pulpit? Or why don't you go into more just intense topics and, and because when I'm writing a sermon and when I'm thinking about these things, it, it's helpful to do some things like that in some depth. But when I really think about it, the most important thing to me is that we love God, is that we know who Jesus Christ is and we know he died for us. And then that is the roots for which we learn. And so I just want to show you one more slide. Um, actually, if, if you're not really up to date on eschatology, I got this from Wikipedia, and I'm going to be honest with you, the Wikipedia page on Christian eschatology is actually pretty good. (laughs) And these are four major views, and we're not going to go through them right now. But there's, this is four major views of people who love Jesus and read this book who can't agree on the order of events. You have the first one, where Jesus is going to come back, then we're going to have a tribulation, then there's going to be a thousand-year reign, and then the world is going to end. The second one is pre-tribulation, dispensational, pre-millennialism, and then the third one is post-millennialism, and the last one is amillennialism, and they all can't quite agree on the order of events. I want to encourage you to look at some of these things and, and read scripture to find out with eschatology what it is you do believe. Um, if you're curious, I'll tell you afterwards what I believe. Uh, by the way, this is, I've, I've changed, I think at, at any point in my life I've been three of those four. So, so it's okay if you're not sure, by the way. Uh, don't feel like you have to know. Uh, and Wikipedia, as I said, actually has a pretty decent description of those. But when we look at this and we think about what God's going to do and how is it going to work and what's the order of events going to be, we look at this passage and we see that Jesus will return. I mean, first and foremost, he is going to come back. And there's one other thing I want to point out here that's really interesting. You know, Craig Blomberg, who's a New Testament scholar, he mentions that the Greek word for meeting, you know, everyone focuses on the word caught up in verse 17, that we're going to be caught up with him in the air. But it says that we're going to meet with him. And that word for meeting is actually a Greek word. It's also used in the book of Matthew in chapter 25 when it talks about the ten virgins in the end times. For a bridemaid waiting to escort the groom and wife to their new home where they will live for forever. So the word it's talking about here that we actually know what it means is talking about meeting with Christ to go home. That's what we're going to talk about next week in Revelation 21, what home actually is. But with this passage, when we read it, we don't know what the snatched part means, but we know what the meeting part means. And the meeting is to join together to go home, 
to be home for the first time, to usher it into our new home that is for, from then on. So we don't know when it's going to happen, but when it does, it is going to be from then on, and it's going to be great. So we may not know exactly what the, the, the snatching part's going to be, the catching part's going to be, but we know Jesus is coming. And we know Jesus is preparing a place for us because in John chapter 14, what does he say? I am going to prepare a place for you because in my Father's house are so many rooms. This is the mystery of Christ. We just don't know. You know, and many people will say, well, I can't believe in what I don't understand. And I'll tell you this, I've said this over and over. If you are a Christian, you are inherently a mystic. Because you believe in a God that is three parts, but also one part. And each individual entity exists at the same time differently, but also together. You know, there's the water example. Well, water can be steam, ice, and liquid. So that's the same thing. But they can't all be the same at the same time. You know, the whole God thing doesn't make sense. It's a mystery. But yet God has given us abilities and faculties and the the, the option and, and the scriptures to understand And the thing from this text that I see, it gives us a detail. Yes, Christ will return. Yes, Christ will take us with him. He will raise those who are dead in him, and then he will take the rest of his Christians home forever. If I don't know the detail, does that really change how I live life tomorrow? Does that really change that my goal is to love people the way Christ loves them because he is currently preparing a place for that person? It certainly does not. See, resting in the love of God is not laziness. It's using the resources God has given us to understand. Okay, maybe it's understanding this for now and studying it and and, and using it to create conversations with other Christians that grow your faith in relationships. But with our study and with our effort, we may not get all the answers, but it will help us grow in our faith. And the last thing I want to say about our passage tonight is this is how the Apostle Paul finishes this little argument in verse 18. He says, let this be an encouragement. Encourage one another with these words. We don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or a thousand years from now. I hope it's sooner, but hey, I've been wrong before, I'll be wrong again. It makes no difference whether it's today or tomorrow. It could be tonight, it could be a thousand years from now, it could be even further. Our job is to encourage and build up one another because Christ will come again. And on that day, he will be victorious. And that is the one thing, you read all of scripture, that is the one thing that comes up over and over and over again is that God will win. I want to read for you and feel free to follow along. I want to close with this. And we talk about Advent, and we talk about waiting for Christ to return. Uh, Advent's through all of Scripture. And, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses of the, the very next chapter. So after he says all of this, this is what the Apostle Paul says. Uh, you can follow along with me in your Bibles. It won't be on the screen. In chapter 5, he says, Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, 
brothers and sisters. You are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. We don't know when it's going to happen, but when it does, we ought to remain in the light so that it doesn't catch us by surprise. Paul is addressing this issue in the church way back when in Thessaloniki, and we can look at it and see there's only one thing we can control, and that is how we treat our brothers and sisters. That is the words that come out of our mouth. That is the service done with our hands and our feet. It's good to study the end times. It's good to study the book of Revelation. It's there for a reason. But when we come across something that we're not sure about, What does it teach us about God? To me, this passage tells me that Jesus loves me and that he will return for me, whether I'm dead and long buried or whether it's tomorrow and he's ready to take me home. He will come back for me the same way he will for you because he's made us that promise. So don't worry too much about the end. Don't worry too much about the stuff that's really hard to understand. Read it, study it, do what you can, but focus on today. And there's no better way to focus on the here and now than the table of communion. Uh, Tonight we're going to come to this table and we are going to honor our Lord's sacrifice when he was on earth before. 